You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to this special edition of the Anarchist World this week. Why is it special? Well, at community radio station 3CR, they're having a special Invasion Day program. So, this program is directed at all our listeners across Australia via via the Community Radio Network, as well as this program will be repeated at Community Radio 3CR, believe it or not, at 5am on Friday. The program is also podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. If you're wondering what anarchism is all about, very simple concept. Without rulers, the Greek without rulers, not without rules. It's about trying to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the fate of tens of thousands, millions of people, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power and hold wealth in common. A simple struggle, been going on since time immemorial, since the beginning of humanity. Now, it's an interesting week because... Everybody knows a federal election has to be held in May, unless we have a coup, (laughs) just joking. But it has to be held in May. And there is a plethora of candidates this year. There are independent candidates, uh, to a significant degree, uh, attacking the Liberal National Party in safe Liberal National Party seats. There's also the Australian Greens, There's a whole variety of uh, parties that uh, are out there to divide us, like the Divided Nation Party and the uh, What's-His-Name, I've Got Lots of Money Party. And the list goes on and on. And it's very, very difficult for people to try to put the various candidates in some type of place on the ideological spectrum, if there is such a thing as an ideological spectrum. And it's very difficult for a variety of reasons because there are differing agendas. And and some agendas tend to cross over and some don't cross over. So it can be very difficult for a voter. Now, I know there are listeners to this program who don't vote and who vote informal as a protest. Now, look... There's nothing wrong with that position, but it's not enough. In 1922, when compulsory voting was introduced 
in federal elections because less than 25% of eligible voters voted in the election the previous year. The fact is, not voting or voting informal without associated action means nothing. It's irrelevant. They don't care. They don't really care whether you vote or don't vote. They make a big fuss about it and they say it's against the law not to vote. But they don't really care. They only care if you rain on their parade. And for a long time I've been um, encouraging people to participate in the electoral process, not because you're going to be elected and not because you're going to get your deposit back. To think that you'd be a fool. But in order to raise different issues during a period where Australians may be receptive to different ideas. So how do we face the election? How do we compartmentalise candidates? How do we make decisions if we decide to vote? Because you've got to understand that it is a a preferential system and ultimately it'll be one of the major parties, one of the major independents or or Australian Greens or a, a divided nation person which will be elected. But preferences are very important because we've got a very funny type of electoral system where elections are decided on what are called marginal electorates and preference flows in marginal electorates. So how do we look at candidates' policies? Well, I use four terms to look at a candidate's policies. I use terms which are nothing new. They've been around for decades Socially conservative, economically conservative. Socially progressive, economically progressive. They're the four terms which I use to define candidates' position. And obviously the candidates I'm interested in are those that have got a socially progressive agenda and an economically progressive agenda. Now, unfortunately, you'll find during this election campaign that we've got a mixture. We've got a whole bevy of independents which are being sponsored by independent money in Liberal National Party seats, especially some very safe Liberal National Party seats, who have a socially progressive agenda and an economically conservative agenda. Now, these are the people whose parents were kicked out of the Liberal National Party 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when they embarked on their privatisation, globalisation, deregulation, corporatisation agenda. These are called the old wets. They were thrown out of the party. And obviously the world has moved on in the last 30 or 40 years, and it's moved on in terms of social issues. So there are many people who are economically conservative, which means they believe in the corporatisation, globalisation agenda, the privatisation agenda. They believe in private investment for private profit as the cornerstone of our economic system. They're not that interested in uh, increasing public resources and public assets, and obviously they're not interested in creating collectives and cooperatives. Now, these people who've got a socially progressive agenda, which means they're for marriage equality, they want to tackle the issue of a climate emergency, uh, they're interested in uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues, and the list goes on and on. So this group 
is making concerted effort, especially in Liberal safe National Party seats, to wrest power from the Liberal National Party and create a crossbench which then can change parliamentary legislation and possibly even determine what party, what major political party will be able to exercise power. So that's the socially progressive and socially conservative group. And it's mainly independents in Liberal, National Party, safe seats, who accept the economic agenda, the current economic agenda, but are very interested in things like euthanasia, abortion, climate emergency, marriage equality, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues, asylum seekers, refugees. Then you've got the old dinosaurs, the ones who continue to exercise power in this country, led by uh, Mr Barnaby Choice in the National Party, which has lost its socialist roots, and led by Mr uh, Scott Morrison in the Liberal Party. And their agenda is quite interesting. It's normally a socially conservative agenda. I think the discussion regarding marriage equality highlighted the amount of social conservatives in the Liberal National Party. And although there may be a few social progressives, the majority of the thinking revolves is based on social conservative views. And obviously, they are the architects of the neoliberal philosophy, the privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation philosophy which dominates our economic system, which puts the private sector ahead of the public sector. Then we have groups like the Australian Labor Party, which to a significant degree have a socially progressive agenda, but after their drubbing at the last uh, federal election, uh, pushing an economic conservative agenda. And they are battling for votes with the Australian Greens, who have some elements of a have a socially progressive agenda and some economic progressive policies. So they're the the play. And then obviously you've got the um, the sheep, the sheep in wolves' clothes, or the wolves in sh- no the. Sheep, the wolf. The wolves in sheep clothes, I should say, you know. And then you've got people like you've got like the United Strata Party, which is basically a uh, a vehicle for Clive to ensure that his assets, especially in Queensland, continue to be beyond reproach, climate emergency or no climate emergency. And then you've got a plethora of smaller political parties which make up the rest. But like any horse race, it's interesting that the Liberal National Party. And the Australian Labor Party were so concerned about the rise and rise of uh, small political parties that they've actually changed. They've changed the rules as far as small political parties are concerned. And what we are seeing, what we are seeing is small political parties being drummed out of the so-called electoral college because the number of people you need to have in your political party before you can apply for registration as a federal political party has increased from 500 to 1,500, which means groups like public interest before corporate interest, which I'm uh, 
you know, secretary for, sorry, which I'm the registered officer for, have now been pushed aside because of these increased membership numbers. It's hard enough in it's hard enough to ensure uh, to create a political party. It's even harder to get fifteen hundred uh, members. So this was done on purpose. So the number of candidates which would appear on ballot papers across the country at the next federal election would be greatly reduced as far as political parties is concerned. So you've got this balance that you've got to look at. Now, if you vote, if you don't vote or you vote informal, you don't, you don't have that issue. But if you're one of the majority of people, that's over 95% that casts a valid ballot, and you still think that parliamentary politics is a worthwhile exercise, well, then you have to make a choice. And you need a preference list. And that's the key. That's the key about preferential voting. Although you, your political party or your independent may only gather 2 or 3%, that preference flow may decide eventually who wins that particular seat. So it will be an interesting election uh, on a variety of uh, issues. But again, you need some type of prototype to actually be able to distill the type of policies which are being proposed. And if you're that, that small group that doesn't vote or vote informal, it is not enough. If that's your sole political action for three years, it's a total waste of time. You need to be involved in activities which challenge the status quo, especially as many people who vote don't vote and vote informally are socially progressive and an eco- economically progressive personal agenda. It's not enough. You've got to be active because, you know, democracy isn't about rule of the people, by the people, for the people. It's much more. It's rule of the people, by the people, for the people, by an involved, active population which is then able to determine the parliamentary agenda, the legislative agenda, and that's the key. It's about having enough pressure outside of parliament to determine what the parliamentary and legislative agenda is going to be. That is the key, and we need to remember that. And the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and the 8% who've got enough disposable income to become investors and take advantage of this country's investor-friendly laws, understand that. They understand that essential component of Australian life and the fact that they are able to influence the parliamentary agenda. That's why, despite having at least almost 30% of the population on some type of social security benefit and another third of the population on less than $1,200 a week, That's why we continue ad nauseum not to have legislation in place which ensures the Commonwealth is used for the common good. So it'll be an interesting time. I mean, I've been asked by a number of people whether I'll be standing. Well, I haven't decided yet. It's an expensive undertaking, just 
just to have your name on a ballot paper in the Senate in any state is a $2,000 deposit. Nobody gets their 4% of the primary vote as some type of unknown independent, but there is the possibility of raising issues which normally would not be raised, raising issues that may have an impact. And I think what alerted us to this was a campaign we held in the south southern suburbs of um, Melbourne for the federal election, I think it was eight years or six years ago, we were able to garner some type of support from the community and a reasonable vote of about 1.5% uh, raising a more radical agenda. Whether this has any impact, long-term impact or not, is a matter for debate. But I'm sick and tired of seeing social conservatives and economic conservatives dominate the political debate in this country. I'm sick and tired of people like ourselves being ostracised, marginalised, pushed away and uh, treated like some type of, um, you know, like some type of uh, pariah. So it's an interesting time. You need to make up your mind what you're going to do, but whatever you decide to do, who you vote for, whether you vote or not, the key is the federal election is not the be-all and end-all of activity. It's what happens between those three years which is important. It's, what, it's that push and the shove which creates a radical parliamentary agenda. For example, when the Whitlam Labor government was uh, elected in 1972, it was elected, it had a radical agenda, not because the ALP had a radical agenda, but because the ALP was composed of people who had a radical agenda. And there were many, many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands outside the ALP which were pushing for a more radical agenda. And the fact the Whitlam Labor government was able to introduce so many reforms so quickly during a four-year period highlights that pressure from outside Parliament which pushed forward that legislative agenda that you know, began legal aid, Medicare, it's called Medibank in those days, a universal health insurance system, and the list goes on and on. There was reform after reform. You're listening to this program courtesy of the Community Radio Network, which is courtesy of legislation which came in place in 73-74, which saw the creation of an independent network of community radio stations which were bankrolled initially by the federal government. Now, if that legislation hadn't gone through, you wouldn't have community radio. And it went through for a, a very important reason because in those days you didn't have social media and you needed some type of alternative voice. And this was a mechanism by which alternative voices or different voices could be heard by the population at large. So those people who think that parliamentary reform is impossible, well, it's incorrect. P Parliament has some power. But what legislation is passed and what isn't passed to a large degree depends on the push and shove outside Parliament that the influence you're able to have on these parliamentary representatives. So the more radical agenda outside Parliament, the more radical agenda which will be carried through Parliament. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Escano. Want further information? YouTube, public interest before corporate interests? 
websites, pibci.net, pibci.net. You can download an application form and become a member of public interest before corporate interests and follow a socially progressive and economically progressive um, uh, agenda, an agenda which tackles the climate emergency, an agenda which tackles the festering soil that exists between First Nations people in this country and the rest of the population. But again, ultimately, it's about activity. I mean, a federal election is just a punctuation stop in a three-year period. It's what happens between those punctuation stops which determines what legislation goes through Parliament and what legislation doesn't go through Parliament. Over the last 40 to 50 years, any chances or any discussion about an economically progressive agenda like a universal basic income, a 1% tax on a share market transaction, a 1% financial transaction tax, uh, nationalising sections of the mining industry, and the list goes on and on. This debate doesn't exist in this country, and it's about time that this debate did exist. Obviously, there are many people pushing a socially progressive agenda, but we also need people in this country pushing an economically progressive agenda. So, think about it. All right, let's move on. Today is Invasion Day. Some people like to call it Australia Day, the uh, day that uh, the colony of uh, New South Wales was established on the 26th of January, 1788. Look, I've always been equivocal. I've been against, obviously, the concept of Australia Day because it falls on the day that colonisation began, you know, for the last 40 to 50 years. I remember being involved in uh, activities and demonstrations in the early 70s, highlighting what had occurred. Now, obviously, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have been involved in activity for generations to highlight the fact that this is Invasion Day and it's really got nothing to do with being Australian. But I have been interested in what's been happening over the last few years as the, as the number of people who see the 26th of January as Invasion Day increases and a number of activities occur across the countries from sunrise ceremonies across the country. But what I've found interesting is how Invasion Day, Resistance Day celebrations are being co-opted into Australia Day celebrations. There's a melding of both, but not real debate about changing the day or a more appropriate day. Maybe the day the Uluru Statement from the Heart was released in 2017. Maybe Mabo Day, the 3rd of June. Maybe Wattle Day, the 1st of September, 1st of spring. The list goes on and on. But I've always been interested in proactive struggles more than reactive struggles. And the struggles around Australia Day are basically reactive. We're reacting to something. And what we need to have is more proactive struggles, struggles like NAIDOC Week, National Aboriginal Day of Observance for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, NAIDOC Week. That's a proactive festival, proactive week. Then we had the outstation movement, which began in the 1970s, where Aboriginal people left religious and government-run reserves and went out into the traditional lands and set up outstations, and the outstation movement continues to splutter on. That was a proactive struggle. 
Then you've got the Tanaminawe Morbohina commemoration, which was held a few days ago. And I'd like to thank all those people who came to the commemoration. I'd also like to thank Community Radio 3CR for broadcasting the commemoration. I mean, that's a proactive celebration, not only the fact that we've been able to have a monument erected by the Melbourne City Council of the Frontier Wars, but more importantly that we have been highlighting and agitating for the 20th of January, the day that uh, Tanaminawe and Morbohina were publicly executed in Melbourne on the 20th of January 1842 for resisting white colonisation, be declared Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day or First Nations Peoples Freedom Fighters Day. Because that, that's, that's, a, that's a proactive activity. You're actually putting your foot forward and you're saying, this is the consequence. This is the short-term, medium-term and long-term consequences of the colonisation process. It's not a reactive. It's not reacting to something that's there, but it's creating something new. And I think it's about time that we as a people became more and more involved in proactive struggles. Because when you're reacting to government legislation or institutions, you're always on the back foot because you're reacting to what they're doing. What we need to be able to do is to get them to react to what we are doing. And that's the key. Whether you're setting up a cooperative or a collective whether you're setting up some type of ginger group, an activist group, they need to react to us. Because when they react to us, we set the agenda. And that's what it's about. That's what public interest before corporate interest is about, the Anarchist Institute is about. It's about us setting the agenda and the 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and governments at this local, state and federal level reacting to us, reacting to our activities, reacting to our demands, reacting to our requests. So there's one thing I encourage you to do in 2022 is don't put all your energy into reacting. Step forward, put forward propositions, agitate for change, proactive change. As I said before, universal basic income, that's a proactive change. 1% stock market turnover tax, that's a proactive change. Acceptance of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, proactive change. Designating the 20th of January as Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day. Proactive change. And when I talk about proactive change, I'm actually not talking about you doing the government work. I mean, we all pay taxes in various forms, whether it's GST, whether it's uh, income tax, whether it's excise and tobacco, alcohol. We all pay tax in one form or another. And the whole purpose of that tax is to provide for the people of this country. So I'm not talking about setting up some type of parallel social security system, which we see occurring ad nauseum in this country, but I am talking about being involved in struggles which set a new agenda, which set a new pathway. That's what the Anarchist World This Week has been about.
for years. It's about setting a new pathway. It's about putting forward demands which nobody else wants to put forward. It may take 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but as social conditions change, ideas change, policies become implemented. We need to move from a socially progressive agenda to an economically progressive agenda because they're interrelated. How can you tackle the climate emergency without tackling capitalism, private investment for private profit? Because it's that economic agenda where we have an economy based not on the satisfaction of human need but an economy based on the satisfaction of human want which has created the climate emergency. It's all very well talking about green capitalism, but at the end it's still capitalism. And at the end it may give us a little bit of extra breathing space, but that's not the issue. The issue is how much we consume, what we produce, how we produce it, whether the marketplace is dominated by private investment for private profit um, institutions, whether governments are now basically working hand in love with these private institutions. I mean, that's the key. So if you are thinking of becoming active in 2022, I suggest very strongly that you think about becoming involved in proactive struggles. You may have one of your own you want to pursue. Because I think the time for reactive struggles is gone. Reaction gets you nowhere. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This is a special program going out on the 26th of January 2022. Unfortunately, the Community Radio... Well, fortunately, or whatever you like to say, the Community Radio Station, this program is normally broadcast from 3CR, has a special Invasion Day programs all day. The Anarchist World this week has been... Uh, transmitted by the Community Radio Network to the rest of the country. It's also will be this program will be played on 3CR at 5 a.m. on Friday, and the program obviously is also podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you want more information about public interest before corporate interest, go to the uh, webpage pipsy.net. If uh, you're interested in uh, joining, it's very easy. You can download the application form, send it by email, or you can actually um, send it by post. Once again, I'd like to thank all those people involved in the Tundaminuwe and Morbohina commemorations on the 20th of January. And we are involved in important struggles, which, you know, do shape the type of nation we are. And more importantly, create the conditions which allow us to deal with things like the need for a treaty, the things like a climate emergency, the things like uh, poverty in this rich country. Let's move on. It's about time, isn't it? I just learnt that um, Mr Thomas, the copyright owner of the Aboriginal flag from 1970, has sold the copyright to the federal government. Sold the copyright to the federal government, which now is the copyright. This is a nationally recognised flag. You go to any major function, you'll see three flags. Well, any major functioning worthwhile, the Australian flag, which you all know about, a federation flag, the Torres Strait Islander flag, which is a people's flag. It was designed by Mr Namok, 
It was designed as a result of a competition held among Torres Strait Islanders for a flag to represent their culture, their future, their ambitions as a people. And the Aboriginal flag, which unfortunately since 1970 has been private, 70, has been private property of one individual, who now has sold the copyright and all its associated uh, entities to the federal government for $20 million. And I understand this $20 million is going to be used for a, a series of scholarships, but we'll see what happens there. And that any royalties which come out of the flag will go to promoting NAIDOC Week. And as I said before, NAIDOC Week, that is a proactive, proactive activity. It's been around for a long time, but it is a proactive activity. It forces the world, the population, the Australian people to react to it. We are not reacting to something else. So... It's about time. It's been a national tragedy. But at least it's finally occurred. The only problem is the copyright now belongs to the Australian government, not the Australian people. Let's make it a real flag, like the Australian flag, the Torres Strait Islander flag, a flag where nobody owns the copyright, whether it's an individual who claims that uh, he designed the flag, although there were certain issues which were where a court found in his favour but at least you can fire the bloody flag without you know having to worry about commercial things that's one good thing let's move on remember the old Cuban missile crisis I barely remember it I think it was 1962 could have been 61 just after the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba the Russians had put up nuclear armed missiles in Cuba. The Americans were up in arms. Mr Kennedy Sr. was up in arms and the American people were up in arms and they said, if you don't remove those Cuban, you don't remove those missiles, it'll be World War Three, and this time we'll be fighting with nuclear weapons. Eventually, the Russians backed down and the missiles were removed from Cuba, which is just 90 kilometres from uh, the US of A. Today we have exactly the same parallel but the shoe is on the other foot we have the Russian oligarchy Mr Putin terrified about the ability of NATO to encircle Russia and what's left of it after the disintegration of the Federation after 1989 And the United States of America has been very, very keen for Ukraine to join NATO. Now, the Ukraine has a common border with Russia, quite an extensive border. And we saw at one stage that the Russians annexed Crimea because they had one of their major um, fleets there. So there's all this breastbeating about a Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's based around one very simple thing. The Russians don't want NATO to set up nuclear-armed missiles in Ukraine because they see this as a threat to their existence. I mean, that is the underlying dispute about whether Ukraine should join NATO or not. It's the underlying reason for this dispute. 
It's a Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse. This time it's the United States government, not the Russian government, which is trying to encircle Russia with allies who have nuclear-armed missiles. It's very simple. And obviously Mr Putin and the Russian government are quite concerned about the situation they find themselves in. It'll be a little bit like, um, say, the government of the Solomon Islands, which has been a little bit friendly to the uh, Chinese uh, government. And they switched their allegiance from Taiwan to China. It's a little bit like the, the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, wanting to set up nuclear armed missiles in the Solomon Islands. I could imagine the hullabaloo that would be occurred in Australia if they even thought about doing something like that. I could imagine, you know, the threats that would be made, the fact that Australian sovereignty would be under threat. It's the same principle. It's exactly the same principle. So it's been hyped up. It really reminds me to a large degree about all the propaganda which occurred before... That's right. All the propaganda which occurred before the invasion of Iraq. Remember all those weapons of mass destruction which didn't actually exist? Well, same principles. Same thing. So, if you think that this crisis is over, it's not. It's a fundamental crisis which is basically about one superpower attempting to impose its will on the rest of the world. And what I found extraordinary about the situation we find ourselves in in, uh, today is the lack of debate about the real reasons behind what's occurring in the Ukraine today. A total lack of debate in the Australian media. A total lack of debate. It's almost criminal, the lack of debate in the Australian media about uh, what's been occurring. Almost criminal. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Let's move on. West Australian Blues. Now, a lot of people are unkindly calling the West Australian government or West Australia the Hermit Kingdom. And the current crisis, and it is a crisis in West Australia, is of their own making, where the Premier has decided to close the borders indefinitely because of the Omicron. And the reason the Premier is concerned is because of the woeful state of the West Australian public health system. A totally inadequate system which was on its last legs. A system which has not been financed or staffed adequately. Now West Australia is the richest mineral resource state in this country, the richest by far, bauxite, iron ore, gold, diamonds, 
rare earths, and the list goes on and on and on and on. An exceptionally rich place. One problem. One very big problem. Successive federal and state governments have given over licences to the private sector to extract these minerals. And what we've seen is the creation of billionaires. Not millionaires, billionaires. Dominating what's happening in that state. But what do these billionaires do with their fortune? They pocket their fortune. They strut around pretending to be philanthropists, paying minimal taxation, minimal, minuscule royalties to the West Australian government, while the West Australian people suffer. They suffer. They have to close the borders because of an inadequate health system which will not be able to cope with an Omicron crisis. That's the fundamental issue we have. Fundamental. 100%. Totally fundamental problem that we face as a community, not just in West Australia but the rest of the country. Why can't the government provide rapid antigen testing? Well, it's easy. The country no longer rides on the sheep's back. It rides on the holes which we're able to create in the landscape to extract minerals. And these minerals and gas is being extracted by private corporations at the expense of the Australian people for the bottom line of their their, uh, shareholders and private owners. People like Mr Clive Palmer fighting tooth and nail in a... uh, in a so-called election campaign in order to get about 3 or 4% of the vote, direct preference is the Liberal National Party and ensure that his holdings continue to be his holdings and not threatened by legislation. The same in West Australia. Wouldn't it be nice to see some of these billionaires that got $30, $40 billion tucked under their you know, fingernails because of the um, exploitation of West Australia's mineral resources? Would it be nice for half of that fortune to go into the health system? Bang. Resolve the issue of inadequate health care in West Australia. Fewer public hospital beds per head of population than any other, any other section, section of Australia. Just extraordinary. Extraordinary that we find ourselves in this situation. And it's our fault. Because we have gone, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, we have billionaires. Aren't they wonderful? They're philanthropists. They're doing this and they're doing that. Ultimately, all they're doing is acquiring wealth at the expense of the very people they're exploiting. We have continual arguments between these multi-billionaires and their corporations and companies with First Nations people in West Australia who are living in the most tragic situation, who are getting peppercorn rent royalties from these corporations. We have these corporations who are not paying, won't be paying tax legally for 10, 20, 30 years because they can defer taxation payments under current 
legislation. We see peppercorn rents being returned to the West Australian government, all, all state governments. I mean, laughing stock, a total laughing stock. If the wealth under the ground doesn't belong to the Australian people, who does it belong to? Does it belong to Queen Lizzie? No. It belongs to a significant degree to that small section of the population that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication at the expense of most Australians. And if you think you've got a bit of few mine shares under your superannuation, you know, uh, in a mining company, think again. It doesn't really matter how many shares you've got. What matters is what type of services you are able to access when you're old. What's the point of having, you know, superannuation if all of it goes into paying for basic services? And that's the dilemma that we find ourselves in year in and year out. That's the dilemma we find ourselves in. So, let's think about it. Let's think about the situation we find ourselves in today. Because today, if we do not get involved in activities to change things, nothing will ever change. Nothing will change. Nothing will change. You can ooh and you can ah. You can ooh and you can ah about things, but nothing will change unless we become involved. And that's the key that's the key message to the anarchist world this week. Look, I can talk to the cows going home. I can talk my way out of a wet paper bag or in concrete. But the reality is talk is cheap. It's very cheap. Maybe I'll get you to think in a different way. Maybe I'll get you to think, well, why should our resources that belong to the Australian people go into the pockets of a few people and people like in West Australia don't actually have adequate health facilities? Although they've got all these mineral resources. Maybe you'll start thinking about a universal basic income. Maybe you'll start thinking about parliamentary politics and why the legislative agenda always seems to be an economically conservative agenda. Maybe you'll start thinking about the possibility of change. Change occurs because people agitate for change. It's that simple. That's what, what, that's what the anarchist world is about. Anarchist world this week is about. It's about encouraging you to become involved in struggles that break down hierarchy, which encouraging wealth being held in common and encourage uh, decisions to be made on a collective basis. That's what it's about. Let's move on. Incompetence, thy name is Scott Morrison. Now, I didn't notice there's been a kerfuffle about Mr Morrison losing his thing on WeChat or something, you know, his spot. And the incompetence is astounding. Not that Lurch hasn't got a history of being incompetent. I mean, they've got no understanding of how the things work. I mean, the fact is that many Chinese people living in Australia, is about 1.2 million go to WeChat to get their information. And WeChat is a mechanism by which Australian politicians and business interests can talk to the Chinese-speaking population in this country. The fact is, obviously, it's a private corporation. It's influenced quite heavily by the Chinese um, government of the day. And 
and the fact is that if you're not Chinese, you can't actually have a site, so you use somebody else with a Chinese name to buy the site. But in this situation, it looks like they've actually not bought a WeChat site, but they bought another site, which means that the, they actually have to conform to Chinese law. Fascinating. Incompetence, incompetence, incompetence. He lurches from one disaster to the next, to the next. But, but let's give him his due. He looks good on camera. He looks good on camera. He can play the family man. He can uh, tug your heartstrings and uh, he can uh, dance for you. So, so that's what he's relying on. Two miracles. He's had one miracle. Now he's going to rely on a second miracle. Well, that's the that's the wonderful thing about miracles is that you know the more miracles you have, the better it is. All right. Sorry, I got a bit carried away there. Now, a few activities if you live in Victoria. Now, obviously, you can organise activities in your part of the world. If you're listening to this program in the Northern Territory, West Australia, South Australia, the ACT, Tasmania, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, you don't have to live in Victoria to organise activities which are socially progressive and economically progressive. And that's what I want you to keep in your head. Socially progressive, economically progressive. What do I mean by economically progressive? I mean creating a three-tier economic system where you allow the private sector to continue in non-essential services. You create a public sector which provides essential services and then you create a collective and cooperative sector which can be a direct competitive force to the private sector. A mixed economy. That's what being economically progressive is. Not accepting the fact that there is no other way. It's only private investment for private profit. The very system that has put us in this situation we find ourselves in. So public interest before corporate interest was formed for that very reason, to run with a socially progressive and economically progressive agenda. Now, we're having a picnic in the park, Omicron or no Omicron, picnic in the park on Saturday, the 5th of February, from midday to 3pm. Now, this is a different type of picnic. You bring your own food and drinks to share. You bring your own food and drinks. That's the key, your own food and drinks. It's uh, in East Melbourne. It's the spot where we had our AGM. It's uh, in East Melbourne, and um, if you go to the website, we go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or the um, website, uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, you'll see all the directions, but uh, I'll give you the directions next week, but it's in East Melbourne, very close to public transport, not far from the MCG, not far from the old Freemasons Hospital. Um, picnic in the park, bring a, bring a chair. If you don't want to sit in the grass, bring a chair, bring some food, bring some drink, Enjoy a bit of conversation, meet other members of public interest before corporate interests, and if you're interested in uh, joining, well, you're welcome. Come and try before you buy, as they say. Now, public housing, everybody's business. Yes, we're back. Once again, we, we've restarted the vigils. Well, we'll be restarting the vigils outside the Victorian Parliament House on Thursday the... Third Thursday the 10th, Thursday the 17th and Thursday the 24th of February from ten from uh, midday to 1pm and then, being very sophisticated people, we're going to go down the road and have some lunch 
have a communal lunch together. Omicron or no Omicron, we need to understand that we need to move on as a people. We need to see how it's important. So if you are interested, if you are interested in joining us, it's um, Thursday, the 3rd of February, Thursday the 10th, Thursday the 17th, Thursday the 24th. Uh, vigil outside the Victorian Parliament House, Spring Street, Melbourne, midday to 1pm, followed by lunch. That's right, we'll walk down the road somewhere and uh, sit down and have some lunch. That's the way protesting should be, civilised. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network, because obviously the social interaction is just as important as the vigil, because the social interaction which allows us to form organisations and form bonds which can be used to create a climate for change. So in today's program, I said it's a special program, it's broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network in uh, every state and territory. It will not be broadcast on Community Radio 3CR on a Wednesday at 10am, but it is broadcast at 5am on Friday, and it's also been podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Remember, try to make sense of the world, Use those terms, social conservative, social progressive, economic conservative, economic progressive. Use them to try to make uh, some sense of the world. And the key to listening to the anarchist world this week is not listening but to become involved. Not, not everybody can become involved physically. People are sick. You can always ring up and offer you know, a little bit of financial assistance if you wish. We don't particularly ask for it. And remember, pro Active campaigns, proactive. Tanaminawaya Mobohina, 20th of January, National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day, a proactive campaign. As I said before, I'm concerned about Invasion Day protests melding in with um, Australia Day activities, and we could see the the um, the removal of the radical element of it, just like we saw with the Eureka celebrations until we formed the radical, reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. Think about the poor West Australians. Resource rich, health poor. Borders closed, families divided because very rich corporations and individuals continue to exploit West Australian mineral resources at the expense of the West Australian people. We've allowed it to occur. Remember, there's a federal election in the air. Think about economically progressive concepts, concepts like a three-tier economy, private economy, public economy, collective economy. Think about that. Think about a universal basic income. Think about a 1% stock market turnover tax and a 1% financial transaction tax to finance a universal basic income. There are many things that we can think about. More importantly, we need to become involved in activities. You don't like what you hear in the anarchist world this week? I am sure you will find something out there which will tickle your fancy. And if you can't, well, you can create, you can tickle your own fancy and create your own activities. But the key is there's no point sitting back and complaining. As I said before, the main task of the anarchist world this week is to destroy that's right, destroy the Gunner tribe and the somebody should do something about that tribe and replace it with a group of people who are willing to agitate for change because it's activity which creates change. Sitting back, complaining, 
creates a headache and feelings of hopelessness and disillusionment involved involvement in activity especially in proactive activities encourages people to believe that change is not only desirable but possible as i say hope is the love child of desire and expectation the desire for change and the expectation that change will occur and hope springs eternal as i keep well as people keep telling us and uh, if you're an activist hope is what gets you up every morning thank you for listening to the anarchist world this week courtesy of the community radio network this program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au the program is podcast you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au youtube channel public interest before corporate interests websites anarchistmedia.org websites public interest before corporate interests Uh, facebook page joseph toscana toscana for the public the list goes on and on uh Facebook pages, public interests before corporate interests, uh, public housing, everybody's business, defend and extend public housing. Messages can be left on 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And yes, you can always you can always send me a letter to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 and put in some stamps inside your letter. That's the best way you can help us so we can continue to communicate with people around the country, whether virtually or uh, physically. The key is that we get together, get involved and agitate for change in proactive activity. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the community radio station 3CR. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.